Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. USA, USA, welcome to a special edition of Covered in Glory, where it is all USA talk all the time. We could not wait until Friday. We could not wait until all the knockouts were settled. We had to talk about America. We had to talk about that great victory yesterday, and we have to get ready for this weekend early, giving you plenty of time and no excuses to join in on the revolution that is happening halfway around the world. America soccer is putting itself on the map. Brett, I am so happy to see you've escaped that safe house that you were being held at by the Iranians. You were able to get out and come back to your home, which also coincidentally kind of looks like it's decorated like a safe house. And you're able to finally start rooting for the United States of America. How are you feeling, sir? I'm, you know, man, I was really worried about the group stage. I I had an inkling it was going to come down to what it did, which is the nervy last 25 minutes you know, kind of last match kind of thing. Um, but it was really cool, dude. I, it was great. It was great to see the win. It's great to see some hope as we'll talk about here for the future matches. Um, but just the, the after match stuff was awesome. Like pool uh, six showing up to the, the hotel as the team arrived completely stoned on painkillers, you know, acting like a proud mother, the way of videos, uh, both his Instagram posts, uh, and then just like seeing him with his parents and then, how much it meant to Anthony Robinson um, and the way he consoled the Iranian player after the match, like all that stuff just makes you love the team. I mean, Tyler Adams, who doesn't love Tyler Adams at this point? Um, It's great. I I mean, I'm excited. It was super stressful (laughs) last 20 minutes or so. Good Lord. I don't need that for my blood pressure, but uh, they got through. And we're, we're here. We're here. We're talking about him, Toby. That's it's great. The Welsh, the English, and the Iranians don't like Tyler Adams. Everybody else has got to be in on the guy at this point because he completely shut them down. He has bossed the midfield throughout the opening rounds. He's arguably been the best player in the entire group, uh, though Marcus Rashford might have something to say about that. But it is just an incredible experience, Brett. Tell us a little bit about how you went through the game yesterday, and then uh, let's talk about your takeaways from the match. Well, I mean, I think both you and I were, we had questions about the starting 11 um, with Cameron Carter Vickers coming in for Walker Zimmerman um, and Josh Tarzan getting the start up top. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if necessarily made it justified, but like it worked out okay. Um, still not sure the rationale of the Carter Vickers thing. I thought it was a pretty big risk to break up a, a center back pairing that was just starting to build chemistry. Um, which by the way, we got to shout out Tim Ream here. Like, yes. let's talk about that. Let's talk about that story. John Brooks had to completely melt down. Then injuries to two other center backs have put him on the roster. And he has been a bedrock behind Tyler Adams um, in, in that left center back position. 
Um, he has been great. Uh, Carter Vickers, you know, was a little bit better in possession, which was the whole reason that Berhalter wanted to go with him. Uh, you know, Sargent had a bunch of energy, actually got into shooting locations a couple times, which has kind of been his problem. Um, but I mean, I wasn't super happy with it, but I think for the most part, you know, we're seeing what this U.S. team is, right? They're very solid defensively. They did it again, um, despite the nervy moments near the end. Um, but they they have been very solid throughout the entire group stage. I don't think Cameron Carter Vickers or Walker Zimmerman makes much of a dent in that. Um, I think it's just very fine margin stuff, I guess, at best. Um, but I mean, yeah, overall, I mean, I, I think, it worked out well. And in Jonas, Jonas Musa has been, was unbelievable. The amount of energy he put onto the pitch. I mean, we, we obviously have given a lot of props to Tyler Adams, but Musa literally was dragging himself around in extra time, you know, trying to get in front of guys, trying to get back on side, trying to advance the ball off the pitch. Um, I mean, if I, if it's possible to adopt a 20 year old, I would do it. Um, but I love Jonas Musa. So, I mean, it, I think all in all, we knew it was going to be, uh, you know, Iran is a, a really solid national team side. You could tell how badly they wanted to get out of group for the first time. Um, and the U.S. held firm and they held firm the ways that they've been doing all group stages. So, you know, now it's on to the next one, man. Like this is that was exactly kind of what I thought the match was going to be. Ugly, gritty. They they Pulisic literally put his balls on the line for a goal to get him ahead of it. I mean, uh, where were you at? I guess like from the start of before when we were texting to like after the match, what was your run of emotions? Oh, well, they took a pretty big spike in minute 38. I mean, I, yeah. I hope that everybody who could hear my voice, you know, did go out and found a group, did go out and found a loved one, did go find out, uh, find a stranger, just experience this in the collective that it's meant to be experienced in. Because that moment in 38 where Pulisic comes crashing down the middle and, and like, let's also give like the flowers to the, the full, the creation, like the McKenzie, um, the Weston McKenzie pass was amazing. Uh, Des hit a perfectly weighted header off of a long cross right back into the the danger zone which is you know how many times have we seen that going wrong watching american soccer throughout all the years and then Pooley, like with the determination with the grit was scoring the goal that he spent 24 years of his life like dedicating towards this one moment everything he's you know worked for and trained and all the obstacles he's faced and all the times he's been told an american can't ever make a this big of a difference on the national stage every bit of that was in every step that he took on that pitch of grass in, in qatar and he beat the goal he beat the defense. He was in three square inches where he could get a touch and get a goal. And he gave up his body to do so. Uh, so witnessing that and witnessing it, you know, and, uh, I was at Haymaker here in Austin, which is like the primary soccer bar. I was with the American Outlaws. I'm wearing the scarf right now. And while listening to that place explode and being with my friends and being with my kin and being with uh, this you know, like-minded hive of people that were enjoying that moment, like that that moment, that like exploding out of your seat, hugging the strangers, jumping up on the stools, pounding the table, screaming at the top of your lungs. Like that was a high that I've been chasing ever since that moment. Um, and so how were my emotions? My emotions were terrible for 37 minutes. They were awesome for two minutes. And then they were terrible again as we ground that game out. I mean, it was absolutely horrible trying to, to watch us finish that out. But then when that final whistle game, you got that two minutes again, and I haven't come down from it since. Yeah. I mean, I mean, was there anything about the change, I guess, with the Carter Vickers that you noticed 
I mean, obviously I'm more nerdy and wonky looking at their player profiles and stuff before this, but I mean, to me, it seemed like a marginal thing. I guess it like he, the possession thing kind of worked, but I personally in that, and in that type of match, and we saw it at the end with Walker Zimmerman when he came in was literally like heading balls left and right out of the box. Um, I kind of felt like it was just like a weird, it's kind of the Burhalter thing that we've, come to expect. I think the team more or less performs how they should, but like we get these little weird Greg moves. Um, I mean, was it something that like, are you looking at it in the back and saying, man, the dude is a savant Uh, and he showed us the universe or were you more or less like it didn't matter? Well, so, you know, as I mentioned, I was in a bar with 300, 400 self-selected, like people who really love this game who got there early, uh, got together to watch. And I was joking with my friend. I was like, of the 400 people here who really love soccer, could I could I ask one of them right now who could give me a logical explanation for CCV starting this game? And we agreed the answer was no. Um, and so like seeing that going into it, I don't think Greg was necessarily playing 4D chess, but I will say, I will say, and this isn't exactly a, a pro Greg podcast, uh, but <laughs> afterwards when he described his rationale that, you know, he know they were, he knew they were going to face a low block and that CCV sees a lot of uh, low blocks with Celtic. And so it was adapted to that play style. I was at least comforted that there was some reason for it. Like yeah. this wasn't just like a gut move or like, Hey, let's just shake things up and play two guys who collectively have played 90 minutes in qualification together, even though they just met like three weeks ago. Like I felt better after learning that rationale, but I could have never ever, nor do I think almost anybody in the were around me could have explained it in the hour leading up to the match. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my initial thing that had me worried was that it was a, a knee jerk thing to the fact that they were asking Walker Zimmerman to kind of play these line breaking passes against England. And he, and a lot of them didn't come off and it, it led to some turnovers and some decent areas of the pitch. Um, but at least, like you said, I, I was comforted by the fact that he literally was just saying, we think we're going to have a lot more possession. We need someone that's better on the ball, somebody that's better in open space, which I get. Um, but it, I ultimately, you know, again, I think I would have been more comfortable with chemistry in the center back pairing. Um, I will be interested to see what happens now with the Netherlands. I'm assuming that we're going to be back on the Walker Zimmerman train, um, but we'll have to see. Greg, Greg always is going to keep us guessing, man. Well, I I do love that the United States is built on this like defensive premise, right? Like goals are extraordinarily hard for us to come by. We have to uh, put <laughs> put our bodies on the line in uh, very uncomfortable ways in order to get one. <laughs> um, and so, like the idea that nobody has scored on open play against us, and we completely snuffed out Wales, and we completely snuffed out England, and uh, for the most part, until they went into the prevent defense. Against Iran, uh, we had snuffed Iran out like that prevent defense. I'm using the analogy of football. Like you, how many times you've seen a team go into the prevent defense and only in order to give up a touchdown that they never gave up the whole day when they were just playing normal? That's what it felt like America was doing. But the fact that we've able been able to do that three straight games makes me feel that none of them are a fluke. And building our identity on that organization and um, honestly, like watching Tyler Adams doing an Golo Conte impression lets me know that we are going to be within the realm of like possible outcomes of us winning anywhere in a knockout game. 
Because if, if there's only going to be one to two goals in a game, you're far more likely to be one of those two goals than you are if you're going to be playing like five, six game bangers and you need three or four to win. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like they, this is a team that's not built to get into a track meet. Um, and I'm glad at least like we've recognized that one. Um, but, I, but uh, you know, I, I still, I still can't get over just how impressive Adams has been. And I mean, Tim Ream has been great. And, and part of me also wonders like how good is Tim Ream looking in part because Tyler Adams is cleaning up so much in front of him uh, to me, like, and I, I've, I've, you know, pretty much tried to watch at least a little bit of every match other than like Enzo Fernandez in this last match for Argentina against Poland. And I think Enzo Fernandez is awesome. Um, this might be a pro Enzo Fernandez podcast eventually at some point. Um, but I mean, other than him and a few other guys, uh, you know, obvious exceptions, I honestly would think that one of the most standout performances in the group stage has been Adams and not because we're us based and not because we're us fans. Um, he has literally, I mean, you mentioned it and I was going to say the same thing. So it's a great minds thing here. He has literally been the joke with Lester with Danny drink, drink water where uh, I think Claudio Ranieri basically said, yeah, you know, we start Danny and then we have Angolo Conte on both sides of him. <laughs> and that's really like, that's really what it seemed like with Adams. Like it, it, he has literally shut down almost touchline to touchline in these matches. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's been some group stage things that I, I haven't seen. Obviously Cody Gakpo um, is going to get a lot of credit for the, the Netherlands. We'll talk a little bit more about that with the goal scoring, but like, I have not been more impressed with too many other guys other than Tyler Adams. He has been, you know, he'll never win. He'll never win like a, a Ballon d'Or or anything, but he has been awesome. This world cup. I, I really think non-American bias, as we know, since I was pro Ayatollah about two days ago, <laughs> um, I really think he's been one of the best players in the tournament so far. And he will be, as we talk about, he will be the difference maker in this next match too. So before we move into the next match, I did want to ask two things, Brett. Uh, sure. One, what do you think this win in advancing to the next round means for soccer in America? Like how, how important was this win going forward long-term, not just in the next four days? Um, I mean, I, I think this is the point where the expectations for us soccer are, you are getting out of group and to continue to do that, especially after the, the 2018 disappointment of not even qualifying, it kind of went back to like, this is, this is our standard, right? This is the standard of us soccer. And it really felt like a culmination of all the hype with all these really good young players to like be able to meet that bar, to be able to clear that bar, I think is huge because it's showing that like, the progress is there. The players are there. The talent is there. We got a, a, a probably underrated tough group. Iran obviously showed that they're very tough out, a very tough competitive national team side. Um, and the U.S. just took care of business. And they, they weren't disappointing. They didn't play below their level. Um, they, like I said, you know, the manager is going to do a weird thing here or there that I'm not sure is overly helpful. But, like, to me, it just showed we're back to where we thought we would be at this point. And I think that's important. I think that's a huge sign for the future, but you are also the one with three kids at home. 
So honestly, I think you're more apt to say like, what does this mean for you as like a parent with younger kids, you being in that group with the bar, like that, that to me, like I, I have a, I mean, I, I live in a world of spreadsheets. I don't interact with humans. So, so it's hard for me. Yeah. Out here in the human people, not just the mole people that you tend to talk to <laughs> yes. online. Uh, I think it has a couple of major impacts. One of which is we just aren't a punchline. Like there's, a, there's a huge uh, kind of vibe in America of wanting to make fun of soccer and you give them any ammunition and then they'll try to make you feel dumb for liking the sport and nothing would have like given them more ammunition than going out to Iran uh, in the group stage. So like I have a tremendous sense of relief to not have to continue to have that conversation for the next four years mm-hmm. and not just that. We also have put a group on the field that is one of the youngest in the tournament, and we will have these exact same players in our life for the next cycle and probably the next cycle after that. So not only did we avoid being a punchline, but now we start to become you know something that people can galvanize towards. It's not just going to be the Stars and Stripes. It's not just going to be patriotism. Like Pulisic, Adams, Musa. Uh, Wea, if Geo, if they could ever find him, I think he's somewhere in in Cota, but <laughs> I think he's apparently Craig doesn't know. Um, all of these guys that are playing Weston, etc., like they're all twenty four and under, except for Tim Ream and our goalkeeper Turner, who's only twenty eight, and like goalkeepers don't even peak; they don't even get warmed up until they're like thirty six, thirty seven. They're like Ents in Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> And so like being able to have specific players that can start to become household names and become people that um, that people can galvanize around and point to is really, really important. Uh, And so I think that their success and them, you know, putting on the show that they're putting on is going to really move us forward, particularly because we're hosting in 26. And so I didn't want to hear four years of negativity going into us being the host nation and, you know, the giant party that we're going to have, but also the representation that is going to be provided. And then the last thing I will say about this particular question is I believe I don't I don't just hope I believe I believe this is the last World Cup ever where we will be satisfied with just making it through. Um, I believe this is the last time that the relief and joy and, and, and ecstasy that I felt at the end of that Iran game will be enough. I think this is the last World Cup of low expectations for America, which is important, right? Like just expecting to make it through is entirely different stage than thinking that you can be a contender, that you can go in and uh, then beat anybody in the world, to think that you can actually win a World Cup. And I think this is the last time we don't think that way. And once the mentality shifts and once we have expectations, the fan experience will change, but the outcomes will change too. Because you start you know, uh, gauging yourself against a much higher bar, which tends to stretch people to reach that bar. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, the thing I always keep thinking of too um, is, you know, Matt Turner, they did a really cool profile on him before the tournament. <laughs> you know, basically about how like 2010 World Cup, like made him take soccer seriously. And now here he is like starting a goal. Um, you think about like Brandon Aronson's rise, like where was he, where we weren't even talking about Brandon Aronson in 2018. Like he was not even on the radar remotely. Right. So the thing I think about, you know, Pulisic's, uh, Pulisic's goal is, is going to be so iconic now. Right. You know, it's maybe not going to be 91st minute, but it's definitely going to be one of the greatest moments in U S soccer history. Um, it, it, there's a clear, like 
support around this team now that they're out of group, even though the World Cup has been weird and the timing's been weird. So like my my thing that I always like to think about and, and romanticize about is like which kids right now are are 15, 16 years old watching this, you know, especially because you know, US men's soccer has been the ugly duckling of the family. Like we've had this super successful women's side um, and that's led to a bunch of just continued success and a bunch of participation in us women's soccer and, and the, the levels coming up. Um, but like, what is, what does this do now? Like how many more Brandon Aronson's come out of the woodwork? How many more Matt Turner's come out of the woodwork? Right? Like, I, I think a goal like that, an iconic moment like that, um, a team that's as likable as this, it makes me excited for like what it's going to do for the next generation. Um, because you talked about like how we're going to have this group of core guys, right? How exciting is it going to be if there's some 14 year old out there right now that sees this match and dedicates himself to the sport. And then we have the next, you know, pool switch coming in 2026. Like that's what I love thinking about is like, what, what is this inspiring? Yeah. So that actually leads me into my, my hot take question for you. And then I'll tell you my reasons why I believe the answer is yes is the matchup that we're about to watch on Saturday between the two teams that are the most likely teams to be the next first-time winner of the World Cup. Um, There's only been eight teams to ever win the World Cup out of the 21 that have been held. The Netherlands have been runner-up three times. Uh, They've made the semifinals uh, two other times. They're basically the Buffalo Bills of the World Cup. They're always strong. They're always a contender. So I think they probably top the list of next countries likely to win it for the first time. Portugal's also on the list. But I think either second or third is the United States of America. Um, And I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy when... You know, we're not uh, uh, having the soccer rich history of a lot of other nations, but we are a place with tremendous resources and uh, tremendous population and a deep, rich sporting history. And so I'll tell you why I think the answer is yes. But do you think I'm crazy to even entertain the question? No, I mean, what I mean, what's the famous saying, right? Like demographics is destiny, like the Netherlands of a population of like maybe 20 million people, I think. I'm sure someone can fact check that a Twitter mention or something, Um, you know, and the U.S. is a huge, massive country that has had like well-documented infrastructure problems with like pay-to-play blocking off a a big chunk of the talent pool that's sort of getting corrected now with like MLS academies, you know, like the ones that have produced Weston McKinney. Um, So, uh, you know, I I agree. I I think that when you look at it this way, it's not absurd. Um, I can't remember. I think like Simon (laughs) Cooper in his book, Soccernomics, has basically said that like the U S is essentially a a sleeping giant in terms of like it's soccer power. Um, We've seen how it's played out on the women's side. So like we have an example with the sport with the the same within the same sport. So yeah, I I don't really think it's that hot takey. Like at some point the infrastructure is going to catch up to the giant amount of talent that we can assemble. And the U S is going to be, you know, right there. Yeah, I don't even necessarily know if it's the infrastructure in my head, Brett. To me, the <laughs> phrase that just keeps going through my my head and it's something that gets talked about a lot in the culture wars. And so I don't mean to drag it into soccer whatsoever. Uh, it's just, you know, a similar phrase is used and that's representation matters. Um, and so like you look at, say, basketball. I know both you and I love the NBA. Yeah. Well, 
the level of uh, athlete and the level of player of basketball has evolved tremendously from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s till now. And the biggest leap started to happen when the game started to get televised more. When you can see Michael Jordan, when you can see Magic Johnson, when you can see, you know, Larry Bird, when you can see Isaiah Thomas, and then into the great players of the 90s. Allen Iverson's a, a big example of this. Once, once people could actually see them on their televisions when they were five, six, seven years old, then they started to want to, you know, develop those skills they wanted to work harder at it because they could see it like unlike when like games are on tape delay or not even aired at all and so one of the biggest things that has happened is the not just you know u.s games not just the mls but the idea that you could watch la liga that you could watch bundesliga that you can obviously watch the premier league that you can watch so much of it in america i think is going to start feeding down the generations and really start driving more people to take the game seriously. And it's not just television. Social media is a major part of this, right? Like you, you talk to, you know, younger people, they often identify, uh, you know, influencers, et cetera, more through social media than even what's on their television. Well, LeBron James, the most popular and famous basketball player in the world has 52 million followers. That's half of what, of what Cristiano Ronaldo has. Ronaldo has 105 million. So like you, when you and I were growing up, we had no point of reference of how like famous soccer players actually are. And now there is a measuring stick. There's a way to actually see that, yes, if I wanted to be an icon, if I want to be famous, if I want to be this great athlete, soccer is actually a better place for me to be uh, in terms of, of what you can achieve than even the NBA. And by the way, you don't have to be 6'8". You don't have to be 7'2". Yeah. Like, you could be 5'5 five, five and be the best soccer player who ever lived. And so like those who didn't win the genetic lottery, who can't go into the NBA, but are incredibly athletic, they have an excellent outlet. And now they're seeing it on TV and now they can see it in social media. And now you actually do have the MLS. Now you could actually go to a game, you know, an hour away, two hour away. And you see these cultures, you see these fans reacting, you see the drums in the stands and the passion that gets poured into it. And you can see that people actually do care about it in America, that when people are saying that nobody likes soccer or like that's a European sport or, you know, like that's not an American thing. Like there's now representation that that's not the only viewpoint available. And so being able to see those three things, I think will filter down through the generations. And I'll end this rant just by pointing out NFL running backs uh, careers have never been shorter and they've never been paid less. If you go look at the top 10 paid athletes in the world on the Forbes list, they published the year since 2012. You want to guess how many running backs, wide receivers or defensive backs have ever been on that list? The answer would be zero. Uh, But right now, uh, Messi is one. Ronaldo is two. No, sorry, LeBron's two. Ronaldo's three. Neymar's four. You want to be rich. You want to be a great athlete. You want to have job security that lasts more than two years. People actually get second contracts, and you're incredibly fast. You're incredibly strong. You're an incredibly powerful athlete. Find yourself a soccer ball. Stop finding yourself, you know, all these pads and all these concussions that are waiting for you, only for you to be churned out by the machine, never make the league, and then get cut immediately, even if you do. So I think the quality of athletes that are going to gravitate into soccer, now they can see it on TV. Now they can see the local experience. Now they can see the social media. And now they can see the alternative paths available to them are, are not as you know, lucrative in, uh, in the world of football, unless you're a quarterback or a massive 300-pound being, is going to really drive people onto the soccer pitch and i don't think we're going to have a striker shortage forever if we can solve some of the pay-to-play stuff if we can solve some of the outreach if we can drive some of these athletes onto uh, a soccer field instead of a football field
Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like I saw somebody make this joke on Twitter. It's like you don't Lionel Messi is five foot five. You don't need to be Aaron Donald to be great at soccer. Like, yeah, yeah it's oh, I mean, I'm I'm in hundred percent agreement. And I mean, obviously, my my background in, in life was you know being in basketball for a long time and player development stuff. And so, you know, a big part of it is like the quality of training is improving. And and like you mentioned with the pay to play and, and all that before is like that, that's going to be the big hurdle that once it's cleared and the MLS academies are a start to that. Um, there's definitely a lot of work left to be done. Um, it, it uh, the, the popularity, I, I think the generational stuff too, like you said, we're growing up now to, or, or these players are growing up now. They are part of the generation that has grown up with that stuff. You and I are old, man. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're washed when it comes to no, that. This is exactly, this is exactly right. And like, so I grew up, the reason I do this professionally is my father and my family was massive sports fans. And I knew every player on the Redskins roster. I knew all the players on the Orioles roster. I knew all the players on the Bullets roster. My kids, they can't name you a single player on Washington. They can't name you a single player on the Nationals. They can't name you a single player on the Wizards. They can tell you the whole Chelsea team. They can tell you who's in the Chelsea Youth Academy. They can tell you who's on the Chelsea women's team. They can tell you who's on the U.S. Uh, women's national team. And now after this tournament, they can tell you who's on the U.S. men's national national team and they are gravitating towards that because that is the sport that you know I bonded with them over and I didn't know a single soccer player when I was you know six seven eight nine years old outside of maybe Pele uh and so that change also makes a huge difference here and like one of the other key points is you don't actually have to be Lionel Messi uh Josh Sargent you know as you've seen hasn't really made a huge influence in the World Cup. It did make the men's national team. He makes $3 million a year playing in the English second division. Haji Wright plays in Turkey. It makes $1.3 million a year. Jesus Ferreira, he makes seven figures in the MLS. The average MLS starter now is going to make, you know, high six figures, low seven figures. Like you could have a career and there's far more jobs available than there are for the 64 running back slots for the, in the NFL. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, all this stuff is definitely, well, first off, it's music to my ears thinking about this, obviously. But yeah, the ease of it, I mean, uh, you and I can relate to this, and maybe a bunch of our people that are listening to our podcast can too. I mean, just remember the weird, shady places we had to go to find a link to watch a match in 2009 or 2010. I mean, I'm sure that I ruined the shelf life of my laptop by a few years because I was watching like, Russian links and they have all my data now, but like that's, I mean, that's so much different than now you can go on, you know, Twitter or just any social media account and you got highlights immediately available to you. You have access to these players. These players are going to be part of the younger generation. That's very good about reaching out and making themselves accessible through those same, same things. And that stuff all matters. And and you kind of see it again in you know, very small romanticized version, but like, the video west mckinney with that little girl giving her a shirt after the game and, and giving her a hug like that i mean that stuff now goes viral and and endears these guys to to the the u.s to that i mean that little girl's story is gonna be so different she's gonna remember that for the rest of her life and who knows what she is maybe she's the next megan rapino now so like yeah. it's it's all very it's all very cool and exciting um especially for you and i who you know grew up in the era where so hard to watch soccer and we we developed this love and this passion for the sport you know now it's accessible and these guys are visible and people are excited so i'm all for this man like that's just this is great yeah <laughs> I, don't no, know I, I, don't, I think it's all great. I, so let's get to the game. Um, but I, here, just to answer the question at the top, what this means for U.S. soccer, 
in my lifetime, I was born in 1980. I think the most consequential moments in the history of U.S. soccer was when we qualified for the 90 World Cup for the first time in a really long time. When we hosted in 94, when the MLS started in 96, and I'm talking men's soccer. I'm not going to like women's soccer has its own history that I don't want to give short sight to. But I also uh if we had all the best moments of soccer in America, almost all of them would be on the women's side. So just focus yes. on the men's <laughs> side for a second. So when the MLS started, I thought it was really important and it's come a long way and the Apple deal will help it continue to grow and bring even more money in for, you know, people that, that want to become professional athletes in the sport. Um, and then fast forward from there, like I know we made the quarterfinal run in 2002, but I thought the next monu- super monumental moment did feel like Landon Donovan's goal uh, in 2010. And then pull a six goal yesterday. Um, yeah, I, I, I like those are I think the biggest moments until the United States of America lifts the World Cup over its head in 2030. Yeah, I, I mean, really at this point too, like the, the idea of a semifinals run kind of seems like it's just the start. It's not just like an endpoint for this, this program where the men's side is, you know, for the women's team, that's the expectation. But for us, even, even if this was the year that they got to the semis, it would feel like the start of something versus like this. I got to remember this. Cause like, this is never going to happen again. Yeah. So, and that's a cool, that's a cool place to be for us soccer. Yeah. I mean, 538 has us, I think at 12% to make the semis, we'd have to beat the Netherlands and likely Argentina. So we're at one in 10, but 20 years ago, I would have felt like one in a million. So we've yeah, made 100%. Many, many exponential leaps up in terms we've of come, we've come a long way from Jonathan Bornstein and Kyle Beckerman. <laughs> uh, all right. So we still have a little ways to go to get away from those guys, but we do have our heroes now. And now we need to talk about what they are going to do on Saturday from both a tactical and betting perspective. Poor Mikey Beatballs. I told him this was going to be a half hour show. We're at a half hour already, but I'm enjoying myself. So hope you guys are too. We'll be right back after this break. Your first bet with Caesars Sportsbook and Casino. It's on Caesars up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code C-Z-R-F-U-L-L and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. That first bet also gives you 1,000 tier credits and 1,000 reward credits, putting you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer free stays, game tickets, experiences, and more. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Yes, you have to know when to stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, or if you know someone who has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or in Maryland, visit MarylandGamblingMDGamblingHelp.org or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700, Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. That's 467-369. Or text C-O-N-N-E-X to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, we're back. And now let's get to the business at hand rather than the bright future that we all have together. We have the Netherlands versus the United States of America, Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Now, one quick caveat that I'm going to give, I'm going to give it again on Friday when we go over the other knockout games. The lines that we are going to be giving you are the 90-minute lines. Uh, For those of you that are kind of new to betting on knockout tournaments, you can still bet the draw. Because after 90 minutes, if it's tied, that that will still cash. But as a result, they all, they list these things after 90 minutes. So I know extra time can be confusing. Penalty shootouts can be confusing. Just know when you are gambling, you're gambling on the 90-minute period. And that's the way that they're going to determine the winner. That can surprise some people when they first get into this. So the 90-minute lines for this game, the Netherlands are minus 110. The USA is plus 325. The draw is plus 235. Netherlands minus half a goal after 90 minutes is minus 115. And the USA is also minus 115. Now, they will post who will advance. So that does cover extra time and penalty shootouts. The Netherlands to advance is minus 225. And the United States of America is plus 180. So, Brett, before we get into our picks and our best bets and all those sorts of things, I think uh, we could all really benefit from your expertise and your knowledge. What can you tell us about what we're going to face against the Netherlands on Saturday? Uh, so it's you're going to hear the name Cody Gakpo a lot. You've probably heard it on it. If you listen to our preview podcast, you heard it when we were on with Ryan O'Hanlon. Um, he has basically willed the Dutch through to this uh, the, to the top of their group. But it is very much a mirage <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, he has scored three goals on four shots. So, and if that isn't enough, if you want just like the, the basic numbers, that is uh, alone is unsustainable. Very few strikers score. Even Lionel Messi doesn't score on every shot that he takes. Um, but the other concerning thing for the Dutch is that his three goals have been on 0.3 expected goals. So he is overperforming by literally almost all three of his goals. Most of the, the, the locations with the defender positions where he has shot from typically do not result in a goal. They're very low quality shots. And without him the Dutch attack has completely cratered. And part of it is Memphis Depay, who is kind of supposed to be like their, their, their Kristen Pulisic um, has been 
hurt. He's barely played for Barcelona. Um, he just kind of got in for extended run here in the World Cup against Qatar. Um, but if he is rusty and Gakpo is overperforming, there is just not a lot of hope for the Dutch. And in general, they line up, they play basically a back three with two wing backs. Um, so, so usually like in a formation, like you have a back four, the two fullbacks have to do a lot of lot more defensive stuff. Wing backs are basically kind of freed up from a lot of the defensive things. Um, they're, they're a nominal defensive position, but they basically play out wide. Um, and they have been playing a player called Daily Blinn as their left wing back. And Blinn, uh, if you, if those of you who go way back, uh, well, not that, <laughs> that far back, may remember him as a center back from Manchester United, kind of washed out there. He's been spending a lot of time with Ajax now um, in the area division. And he is not what the type of player profile you typically associate with a wing back. With a wing back, it's usually kind of a, a converted winger. Um, Victor Moses would like to like to have a word with Toby, I'm sure. Um, one of his Chelsea title team favorites. Uh, or was that Champions League? Was he or both? Uh, Premier League. Premier League. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Under Conte. Okay. Um, yeah. So you typically take like kind of a winger that isn't that good. You throw him at wing back, kind of ups him. It's he plays up his skill set a little bit more. Um, Blind is not that player, and he's kind of the epitome of like where this team doesn't fit together. Um, all their midfielders, uh, Frankie De Young is a name that maybe you've heard. He's a real big star player. Um, Move from Ajax to Barcelona in a big money move. We've kind of poked fun at a situation with Barcelona on earlier podcasts because Barcelona's in financial trouble. Um, but most of their midfielders are really good at passing the ball forward. Not a lot of they're basically the opposite of Tyler Adams in a lot of ways. Um, they they went with Martin Darun, who's probably the only midfielder on their team um, that actually does some ball winning, some defensive work. Uh, but in other ones, they went with uh, Tone Coltminers. Um, I'm sure I butchered that Dutch pronunciation. Um, and Steven Berghaus uh, as like a double pivot with Frankie de Jong, who's always going to be in the main, the center of the pitch. And both those two latter players are, again, all offensive players. They're good at pushing the ball forward. They're good at dribbling it forward, good at passing it forward, but they don't win the ball back. And it's created a weird kind of like, mesh with the system that they're trying to play so this is a very disjointed limited attacking dutch side it's going to set up personally as uh, uh, like really good at least for betting purposes and betting everything about not scoring um but they they are they are going to be looked at as maybe this like bigger more traditional european powerhouse but this is make no mistake this is a very flawed team that probably doesn't get out of group if Cody Gakpo doesn't go nuts. So, yeah. uh, you know, and Toby, we, we texted during the Ecuador match, I'm sure, but you have probably some thoughts. I know you've watched some of their games. What did you see kind of from like the watching the, the match perspective? Yeah. So uh, when we were previewing it on against all odds, I came down against the Netherlands and it's pretty like, I, I have a much more simplistic view of these things than you do. Like you're much smarter about them than I am, but for teams where I don't know where the goals are coming from, I am not long for them to win the tournament. And so uh, going into the tournament, like I, if Memphis Depay was your answer, then, you know, I think my question was legitimate. Gakpo has been the guy who's produced goals, but as you pointed out, it wasn't exactly on, you know, high quality chances. He's just had amazing finishing in, in the first three games. And when I'm watching the Netherlands play, 
I thought they got outplayed by Senegal. I thought they got outplayed by Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And then they played the worst team to ever play in the World Cup. And so, like, just threw that <laughs> game out entirely. And then the United States of America, I think, outplayed Wales. I think they outplayed England. And I think they outplayed Iran. And yeah. so... So, so I, let, let me back up, not to interrupt, but let me, let me put some context to that Ecuador game where I think that was thoroughly outplayed. They got outshot 15-2. to two by Ecuador team that didn't end up advancing out of group. But I just wanted to throw that out there to add some context. Yeah, and, I, I, and the XG, I think Ecuador was at 1.68, I believe, and Netherlands was at 0.1. I mean, yeah. if you look if you look at non-penalty XG for the entire tournament, Netherlands is, Netherlands is seven from the bottom. And, you know, you might say, well, it's a small sample size, but the top uh, five are France, Germany, England, Brazil, Spain. And if I asked you to name five of the favorites to win the tournament from today forward, those would be five of the six along with Argentina. Uh, And so, like, while it might be a small sample size, the real creme de la creme has risen to the top and Netherlands has sunk to the bottom. And so I know I'm a shill. There is no doubt who I'm going to pick. You know, I'll give something, some shouting and some reasons that could go into social media. But I actually do believe the United States should not be ruled out of this game. Like, I think this sets up as a coin flick because I think this sets up as a 1-0 game. And 1-0 games can absolutely go either way. You can score one on 0.1 XG and you can only score one on 3 XG or 4 XG. And there's going to be that uh, few creative chances and both teams are kind of, you know, get a struggle uh, compared to like a Spain or a France or a Brazil. Why can't we win this game? Why, why shouldn't I feel not just hope, but actual the smallest amount of confidence that I'm not going on Saturday for a consolation matchup. I'm showing up for a damn fight. Well, I mean, I I think that the big thing that the, the, obviously the elephant in the room is going to be the health of, of Pulisic, right? Like that's, that's going to be the big thing. So I, I'm going to do my Ace Ventura deep breath thing. And we'll talk about what he's done here, but he leads the, the U S in non-penalty XG shots per 90 uh, key passes. He's second in passes into the penalty area. He's first in what's called progressive passes, which are passes that move the ball 10% closer to the opposing goal. Uh, he's first in shot creating actions and he is first by a mile and penalty area touches. So let's make no mistake about it. A big key in this match are him and his gigantic American flag covered balls are healthy and ready to go. Um, he is going to be the, the big reason he has obviously done so much heavy lifting for the U S uh, I think this has got to be the match where Gio Reyna sees the pitch for extended time. Um, but, uh, but I think it goes back to the big thing that we talked about. This is going to be the Tyler Adams match for multiple reasons. One, he is legitimately going to probably be the only midfielder or player on either team that is good at winning the ball back and creating transitional opportunities with tackles, interceptions, covering up open spaces, changing possessions, creating transitional moments. This is going to be his match, not only for what he does, but for the fact that the Netherlands strength is going to be guys like Frankie de Jong, passing or dribbling the ball through the midfield to get it into the dangerous areas. Adams is going to be at the center of everything in this match. And we have seen that he is more than up to that challenge. And if that does not give you hope, 
I don't know what else will. <laughs> well, so. I, I, I would say that the most important defender for the Netherlands is Virgil van Dijk, and the most important defender for us is Tyler Adams. And 100%. in the style of game that we're going to play, Tyler Adams has a better chance to cancel out the Dutch strengths than van Dijk does to cancel out the American strengths. Because joke's on you, van Dijk. We ain't got no aerial presence. Your imperious <laughs> command of the box don't matter when the ball never leaves the turf. We got nobody to head it in anyway, so go ahead. Rule the sky. We're going to hit you with speed on the wings, and we're going to hit you with a quick move that comes from a Tyler Adams uh, turnover from De- from DeJong or somebody else that springs on the break. And you know who doesn't have their wheels anymore? It's Virgil van Dyke. You know who never had him in the first place? It's Nathan Mackey. So if Tyler Adams can actually cancel out the Dutch strengths, I like our chance to get one almost more than I like the Netherlands' chance to get one. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the thing is, is that this is the type of so what worried me about Iran is the exact opposite of what gives me hope in this. The U.S. is better prepared to play in a game where they have a little bit less possession, can press and create transitional moments to get their attacks against a team that has pushed players up the pitch. This is the exact type of match that they want to be playing, and now they are getting it. And the the only thing is, is that they are getting in against a team that is not going to be overwhelming them and just bombarding them with shots. It may be a different thing against Argentina with Messi and Enzo Fernandez. If they get that far, that team can actually put some pressure on you, but the U S is going to be more than happy to play a counterattacking match here. And there is going to be space available. Daily blend is not some spring chicken playing left wing back. Denzel Dumfries, who is their right wing back, is also a player that loves to push forward from that spot and get into the attacking areas. Dumfries' thing is that he likes to get into the box and get off shots. That is what brings him value for Inter, who he plays for for his club team. That means there's going to be spaces available, spaces for Wea, spaces for Pulisic, spaces for whoever starts at striker, who hopefully isn't Haji Wright, because I don't think he's a great fit for this match. Um, so there, there is going to be opportunities for the U.S. to do what they do best, to create those spaces. And the fact that the, the, the Netherlands do not have anybody in their midfield that can win the ball back against what is arguably the U.S.'s greatest strength is their midfield. Yeah. Is their midfield. It's Adams, it's Musa driving the ball forward, and it's McKenney's movement. And the Dutch are not defensively prepared, even if Darun gets the start, which I don't think he will. Even if he gets the start, they are not prepared to handle that midfield. Yeah, I mean, McKenney's the key player here, right? And so there's a little bit of worry that he's wearing out after 60 minutes or so. He keeps getting subbed off and he keeps looking pretty bad before he does. I don't know if his conditions where it needs to be or it's just, you know, the, the conditions of being in the desert are getting to him. Um, but he's going to be critical to this game. Like he should have space to operate. Musa has to have some space to operate. Tyler's going to provide support for them. And we've seen in the pool sick goal that McKenney can trigger a pass that leads to a goal if he's given space and time on the ball. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, like if we had driven, if we had drawn Spain or Germany or Brazil or, you know, even Argentina, even though they slipped up in the first round against Saudi Arabia, I'd be showing up and just be like, hey, this is all gravy. And I think the dangerous thing, the most dangerous thing is actually starting to have some expectations, but it's where we need to get as a country anyway. It's the mentality we have to have, as I talked about earlier. And I believe that we can win this match, Brett. And I am willing to back it with my dollars. I want to hear your pick in just a second. I think (laughs) the USA at plus 325 in the 90 
is a much better bet than the Netherlands at minus 110. Um, the one I will actually support that I will give out here officially is the USA minus 115 on the double chance after 90 minutes. I think the Netherlands thinks that they can, you know, win a penalty shootout. I think the Netherlands thinks that their depth uh, can, you know, do our right in extra time. And I also think both teams could try their absolute damnedest and still be at zero zero after ninety minutes. So being able to get both draw equity and win equity at a even dollars, I think, is the best bet far more than Netherlands in the ninety minutes when you have to pay the minus one ten for them to get that result. Yeah, I mean, my my big thing was I I think taking it. Um, I think this is going to be, this is this is going to be exciting. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the match itself, the style of soccer that might be played, is not going to be super endearing um, to most casual fans. Uh, I think it, I think this is going to be a low shot volume game. I think that a lot of under bets are the play. I'm not super confident of any of those lines in, in regular time, but the plus 180 number for the U.S. to advance, you are getting plus 180 for what to me is absolutely a coin flip. So that to me was like the standout best value out of this match is because this literally goes either way. Yeah. Um, and I, you're getting plus 180 for them to advance. I do love that. I will say, I mean, maybe this is, uh, you know, some bad habits of being somebody who's watched a lot of American soccer over the years. I, I don't feel confident in a penalty shootout and I don't feel confident in extra time. I, I do think that, you know, eventually our conditioning does wear out. Like if you obviously like that was a highly emotional match and Iran really threw it at them at the end, but our guys were gassed. Like you saw them like collapse on the field at the end of regulation. And if they have to pay another 30 minutes, I definitely like Netherlands over them at that point. Uh, but I think the most likely 90-minute outcomes are 0-0 and 1-0 either way. So we'll talk about props in a minute. I'm with you on all the unders. But America, 1-0 to regulation is how I think that we make it to the quarters and stare down Lionel Messi in a match that will be remembered forever here on the shores of America. Well, I, I think the one thing, too, that I, I look forward to, and this is definitely not Greg Berhalter playing 40 chess. This is, would all be happening by accident. But you can make the case that the U.S.'s second and fourth best attackers have literally not seen the pitch yeah. in terms of Ferreira and Reyna. Yeah. So the extra time stuff and the subbing, I think that by accident, we have arrested two really impactful players. Um, I also think that Brandon Aronson's pressing and running, uh, since he hasn't played from the start of every match, will be huge as an extra as a as a sub probably later in the match from the 60th or 70th minute on. So it's <laughs> it's been a point of contention, obviously, up to this, but it may work out where some of our best attackers are fresh and coming on in like the 60th or 70th minute and actually could turn the balance in extra time. It's so weird. It's definitely not how Burkhalter's drawn it up where he's like, I'm saving Reina for the Dutch. Um, <laughs> but you brought this up last pod. You brought this up last pod. Like, I agree with every single word that's coming out of your mouth last time. But what you asked me is, do you trust Greg to do it? And so, like, if, if he might I, not have a choice with Sergeant out and Pulis and and Christian, you know, oh, oh, he'll tell you to hold his beer. He will sub on every MLS defender <laughs> on his bench. 
And Shaq, Shaq you tell him he doesn't have a choice. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Given <laughs> I don't have a choice, I have to put on an MLS defender or I cannot do that. It's like, yeah, well, give me the MLS defender for no discernible reason. So I think he can make the wrong decisions, even if he, the choices seem obvious. But if you told me, I will say this right now, if you told me that we have held him in reserve and this is the free geo game, I am on the 325 in regulation just like that. I am actually paying like a 300 bit Greg tax here in my gambling because I just don't think he'll do it. <laughs> uh, you know, and again, uh, it's a very valid point. You definitely turned around, turned around my question to you in the last podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I but I do kind of think now. Uh, so back in the day, the, the, the Milwaukee Bucks used to have Scott Skiles as their head coach, and they had a really deep roster without much, much difference between like player one and like player 12. And I always thought that like, it was a problem because Skiles, like it gave him the opportunity to just play random rotations. And I think the, the limitations of maybe McKinney after a few matches played Sergeant, maybe being out, maybe after seeing Haji, Wright kind of not be super effective in the first two times he's put him on the pitch. Um, Greg is, is running low on options to the point where it's like, yeah, the only attacker you can really play is your best one. Your best one. How about the last guy you play is the best guy you have. How about that, Greg? So, and that's the thing is like, I think we're getting to the point where he has run out of options. Um, That's about the only thing that's giving me compliment confidence. Not that he is, set this up for some master plan or he's going to learn his lesson. It's going to be the fact that there literally might not be much else. If Sargent's yeah. not ready to go, if Haji Wright is finally kind of showing that he has a very limited appeal to being out there, then who's left? It's Ferreira and Reyna. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to take another quick break and then we'll cover the props, but I do want to welcome you. I want to welcome you. Finally, after four pods, we've done talking about the world cup. You have finally joined the side of the angels. You're finally on the side of the red. That might not be good though. You are finally be, taking the United States. I don't, I, maybe you are a jinx, but just hearing the words come out of your mouth that after all this time of rooting for the Ayatollah and rooting for the King <laughs> and rooting for whoever the governing body is that controls Wales at this point, Real Americans don't know geography. I don't know the answer to that. So have you finally joined me on the side of the United States of America after these weeks together? It warms my heart, Brent. So thank you. Thank you for finally realizing that you are an American living in Arizona, living in what appears to be some sort of, uh, <laughs> of halfway house that you've decorated with a single poster that you need to get some things to celebrate America. I'm too. too lazy to paint it. All right, man. I don't uh, care. It's white noise to me at this point. <laughs> but welcome. Welcome to the side. Welcome to the party, Brett Cormenis. Uh, all right, we got to cover the uh, props right after this break. All right, we are back. And before we walk through the props and then get you out of here, a quick programming note. We will be on Spotify Live, Brett and I. Bring some questions. Bring some questions at 3 p.m. Eastern on Friday. We'll be during the second half of the afternoon game. So we'll be talking about live second half betting. We'll be talking about who's going to advance during those games. We'll be taking your questions on Iran and the United States of America and taking your questions on the rest of the knockout stage. So we are very excited to interact with you. Please come join us, uh, download the app, and, and we'll see you there on Friday. We will also be back on Friday night. 
um, with a preview of the other seven knockout games that are far less important than this one. We promised not to go seven hours. We gave an hour to this and we'll give an hour to that. So these, this game is at least eight times as important as the rest. Uh, so with, <laughs> with those notes, we still want to make you a little bit more money, and we're not done talking about the uh, baby eagles, and we want to walk through the prop market. As Brett has already tipped, both him and I love the unders in this game. We don't think there's going to be a lot of action. We don't think this is going to be one where, you know, you adrenaline junkies out there who like to see 49, 45 mat games are really going to get your fill in, in the beautiful game. It's going to be very tactical, very low scoring, with very exciting uh, moments wrapped around a lot of midfield junk. Uh, so as a result, you should gamble on it. Um, if In that game state, that there's things that are more likely to happen. The first and most obvious one, uh, the over 2.5 goals is 1.25. But Brett, am I too bold to say that both you and I like the under and minus 160? Yes. Uh, I actually go to the extreme in all of my profits on this. Um, I not only like that one, I think the adjusted under of 0.5 is plus 750. And I think nil nil is probably about a 50% outcome of this match. Um, it's after 90 hard. minutes, everybody. After, after 90, 90 minutes. After 90 minutes yes. Yeah. Uh, th- this match to me, if, if you said I had to pick one outcome, it's about eight combined shots and a nil nil finish, assuming there isn't some, <laughs> some fluky stuff that happens. And you're getting plus 750 for that number. I think that's a one in three type result. Maybe Toby is going to think differently here. No, not at all. I, I I couldn't agree more that plus 750 is an excellent number for, you know, I don't know if it's one in three or one in four or one in two. It doesn't matter. Like plus 750 is massive positive EV, no matter what probability you assign to it. In this similar vein, uh, a scoreless first half, which as we talked about on the last show, like as a portfolio bet is, is, just killing it right now with yeah. all four games today, nil nil at halftime. I think they were um, the scoreless first half is plus one thirty five, and but both teams to score no is minus one thirty five. So all of these bets, the plus seven fifty for the nil nil scores plus uh, scores first half at plus one thirty five. The under two and a half goals at minus one sixty. Both teams to score no at minus one thirty five. They're not going to win you a lot of friends. They're not going to win you a lot of excitement points, but they do have the potential to win you a lot of money given what we're expecting in this game. Yeah, and I mean actually the the thing too now that I uh, am looking it up is that the exact score line of zero zero is actually plus eight fifty. Um, Ooh, so that's actually better, better. better than obviously the under a 0.5 adjusted line. Um, I also think that the U S clean sheet. And again, that we're talking yes. about the 90 minutes plus three ten. Again, I just think that's massive EV for that line. I, I think one out of every two 90 minutes in this match ends with the U S and we haven't seen it much, but Matt Turner is legitimately one of the best shot stoppers in this tournament. So even if Cody Gakpo wants to pick out every corner, you have a goalkeeping counterpart, at least in the U S who hasn't really been put to that type of test. Um, at plus three ten, it just seems I'll, like almost I'll raise you. I'll, I'll raise you, Brett. Okay. USA to win to nil plus five twenty five. If you think they can keep a clean sheet, you're almost doubling your odds that they could squeak in one goal, send all of us into rapture, and you could take home over five to one on that bet. So USA to win to nil at plus five twenty-five. Uh, given the odds, don't not like the likelihood of the outcome. Given the odds, 
at 525 is one of my favorite bets on the sheet. Yeah, and I mean, I, I had a similar one down. Um, I think that one's probably the better one. You're really <laughs> going all in, obviously, on this is going to be a low story and drag down fight. Uh, but the U.S. just generally to win by one goal was plus 425. Um, and I think, again, just given how hard it is going to be for them to score one, if you think this is a coin flip, if you think that uh, the U.S. has a chance to win 50% of the time, it is going to be by one goal. If they win by two, I mean, Toby will be running around the streets of Texas with his pants on his head. But this, is this to me, the one goal win is – 90% of their winning outcome at plus 425. It, it just, I, it's I hate to keep re-raising you, Brett, but if you have pool of six size swollen testicles, my other favorite <laughs> bet, the United States of America exact score line one to zero is plus nine fifty. I looked at I looked at that one. Yeah. Plus nine fifty. Get those swollen testicles, sack up, back America to win by exactly one to zero. Cause I do think that is one of the three or four most likely score lines. Yeah, I, I mean, there literally is, there's nothing uh, with a zero in it. <laughs> I don't think I can get behind um, just because of the limitations of these two sides. And just because of the fact that I, I think that both the U- U.S.'s calling card at this port, point, even if, if Pulisic plays or not, is going to be defending. So if you have a zero in it and a plus number, I am like, yep, yeah. that's it. That's good. Put money on that. <laughs> so uh, one other bet. And I gave this out last time and it was a winner. I gave it out versus uh, Wales and it was a winner. The first goal to be scored in the match is after the 30th minute. That is plus 100. Uh, So I expect them to be a lot of feeling out at the beginning. We're talking about two teams that don't have a lot of attacking power. You talk two teams that are going to set up pretty defensively and like they're going to be set up for the long haul. This isn't like either team that I I don't expect, Brett, I don't know about you, to come out and try to punch the other one in the mouth. And even if they do, I'm not sure they'll be successful. So being able to um, watch them feel each other out for the first 30 minutes and then just either side gets a goal becomes a plus 100 proposition for you. I think is uh, excellent value. And so I do plan on playing that one, even though we do talk about how defensive the match will be. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. If you want goal scorers, um, I'll give one of my favorite on both sides. If you're looking for any time goal scoring numbers, because you want to think about something that doesn't involve a goal and not a zero um, is I think to me, the best bet is for the U S is Wes McKinney is sitting at plus five fifty as an anytime goal scorer. Um, it's it kind of gets lost a little bit in how he plays for the U S uh, because he does do a lot more on the ball and his passing gets a little bit more of a run here at the international level, but his thing for club teams is he is kind of the midfield runner, the, the U S Aaron Ramsey, I guess, um, of the guy that kind of gets into the box late, just pops up in there. Um, as we, as we, as you did see in the England match where he just comes out of nowhere and then all of a sudden he pops up in the middle of the box in a very, Good shooting location. Um, I think with the way the midfield or with this match sets up with a back three from the Netherlands and a bunch of midfielders that aren't known for their defensive prowess, McKinney sneaking into a spot and a ball getting played in plus five fifty seems like a good bet. Um, if you want to fade me because I'm taking the U S which means that they're definitely going to lose now. Um, this is, this is one of my bets, Toby, you can, you're going to have your fun with it. But Virgil van Dyke 
is plus 900. <laughs> um, that is now, an insult to Zimmerman and Ream because he's only going to score uh, on a set piece if those guys fail to right. run him. Uh, but that's the thing is uh, Van Dyke in both his, his late club run leading up to the World Cup and then a few times is become a shooting machine on set pieces. Um, I do think the Dutch could have a, a stretch here where they put the U.S. under pressure with a bunch of corner kicks and free kicks, which means Van Dyke is going to be coming up to the front. If for whatever reason we see Cameron Carter Vickers instead of Walker Zimmerman, this mm. would also be another reason why you'd want to take Van Dyke because his set piece ability will be even more pronounced. Um, also, the U.S. has just generally not looked great on lump balls into the box. So um, if you do think the Dutch are going to score, I think he is a way better value uh, than you would get with Memphis or Gakpo. Um, Davy Clausen would also be another Dutch one that I could say you could squint at and look at Davy Clausen's line of plus 300 and say, maybe he's the guy that does it for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I think the U S bet would be our boy, Captain America. Yeah. Small, so Cap- Captain America, uh, I think you're getting some injury equity over there right now. Cause he's listed at plus 350. So this is one reason we wanted to put the show out early. So you could really think about your bets, but also maybe get some in early. So uh, I, I like him at plus 350. If we get a goal, I think it's most likely going to come through him. And I think if it's announced, he's definitely going to play. That's going to get bet down to, you know, 250 or 200 before the match. So get it early if you like it. Uh, if he doesn't go, though, Brett, am I am I writing that Aronson will be the most likely penalty taker on the pitch? Well, he takes all the set pieces. Um, I can't imagine. And this is something that's just going to go like they have this sorted out in training. We'll never really hear it unless a reporter specifically asked at pregame. I would I would think Weston McKinney is going to take any penalties if, if Pool is out. That, that would be my gut. I don't know if that's it. Aronson will definitely say, take set pieces. So that would be something that would come into play if you're looking for maybe an assist thing. Um, he'll take all their free kicks. He'll take all their corner kicks. Um, he might take some kicks from outside, the, uh, some free kicks from outside the box that are direct on target. Um, but I, my guess would be that Weston McKinney would take any penalties. That's just, it is a complete guess. Because we have no idea how they yeah, would do I, this. I, but I think cannot imagine that. Yeah. I didn't think I didn't think it'd be Weston, but that does add some weight to your anytime goal scorer. I mean, I thought it would be I, I just didn't think it'd be Weston. I don't know. Has he ever taken a penalty for America? Well, hell, I guess Pooley takes almost all of them, so I don't know what the yeah, loss, the we, we really don't know. It's, it's one of those things that it's a total unknown. And yeah. that's why like it's gonna come down to what Berhalter and his staff and the things they've seen in training. But my guess is given his personality type, the weight of the moment that is probably the guy that they want to see step up and take that penalty. All right. Well then I wouldn't take Aronson at plus four fifty. but the other one, I, if, uh, if you don't want to take captain America, Gio is plus three fifty, but you can't take him because you have no idea if he's going to see the field. So I would go with Wea. Um, that finish that he had on the marginal offsides was really world-class. He's been extraordinarily dangerous for us throughout this. I mean, like I know he only has the one goal, but we only have two in total and he's got one of them. And he, he <laughs> has looked really strong coming in on the wing. And so getting him at plus 350, I could see him as the other non-penalty, most likely goal scorer for America in this match. Yeah. And, and the thing to remember about Wade, too, is he, he nominally plays as a winger. And Sergeant and Haji Wright has take, have taken up kind of the striking partnership role. But Wea has actually been the guy that has been making the runs in behind. Sergeant has done a lot of hold-up play. That's like the 
job of the striker to basically during transitional moments to kind of show himself, like basically offer as an outlet, think maybe like a check down type of pass in the NFL. Um, that's not a great analogy, but it's the best one I can come up with on the fly right here. Um, but way has actually been the guy that like makes the run in when we saw that in the first goal that he did score, he actually almost had an exact copy of that goal in the Iran game. Um, and so he literally is going to be the guy that is probably going to be in the most dangerous areas uh, than anyone. Now, now Pulisic, if he does play, is going to have the penalty equity. And so a guy like Wea may not be a great value there because he may draw a foul on the box, but he definitely might not be following up with the penalty itself. All right. Well, I think we've uh, said about all, Brett, that we can say about yeah. this match. Anything before we leave that we didn't cover that you want to make sure everybody knows? I wanted to take your USA away from you and just start chaining, but I can't do that to you. I just yeah. can't do it. I got to well, leave maybe, that to the pro. Maybe we could do it together because it is more fun to do together. And I will end this podcast the way I've ended every podcast that we've done during the World Cup. The United States of America, your country, most likely, if you're listening to this. I mean, maybe we have some uh, people abroad listening, but my question to you is why? Uh, uh, go find a group. It's 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. Uh, you could be in the service industry or you can, you know, work some uh, retail or non-traditional hours. But a lot of people that I'm talking to aren't going to have work to contend with. You don't have an excuse. You have an opportunity to be part of something that is bigger than each one of us individually. And there's nothing greater than all of us collectively. And so go find your moment. Go find your tribe. Go find your group to watch this in and get out and experience this magical moment. I spent the entire yesterday chasing it. I had our highs when I was watching at Haymaker. I came home and uh, and talked about it with my kids for a long time. And then I went in out into the night. Shout out to the men in Blazers. I went to their show here in Austin just so I could continue to be around people that love the same thing I do and continue to chase that moment that uh, had happened hours and hours and hours and hours earlier. But even you know a day later, I can't stop thinking about it. So go out and have your own version of that experience. And Brett... Uh, we'll be back on Friday to talk about the rest of the games. We'll be back on Spotify Live to take your questions. But if you'll join me in going out and thinking about this game. Let's do it. Here's who's going to win. You ready? Yeah. USA! 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 See you on Friday, folks. <laughs>